research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. Seated beside me, as always, is the co-host of the program, Eric Eggers. Eric, good to see you. Peter, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. You're paid to say that, right? We've all heard about the new rich, the oil rich, the Silicon Valley rich, What about the government rich? These are the politicians who get rich by virtue of being in office. They use their power and their status to enrich themselves. The writer G.K. Chesterton observed a long time ago, we are past the point where being a capitalist is the only way of becoming a politician, but we are dangerously near the point where being a politician is much the quickest way of becoming a capitalist. Now, in New Jersey, the state legislature, they've been apt to say, make a law, make a living. Jersey. That's so on brand. (laughs) It's so on brand. And it's so terrific. It's so concise. In Washington, D.C., we've exposed milker bills where politicians introduce pieces of legislation to milk lobbying contracts for their family members and campaign contributions. Uh, But today, we're going to examine yet another example of self-enrichment into so-called public service, and we're going to head down south and talk about one of the hottest politicians in the media today, that would be Stacey Abrams. And we have some very interesting new research that we're going to break on the podcast today about how she has become rich using her position and office in state government. Yeah, she's taken an untraditional path to wealth, has... uh Governor Abrams? No, not actual Governor Abrams, although she, <laughs> she, never, she never did concede the race. And that's right. So we're, we're talking about, of course, Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor in 2018. Uh, she lost by like 1.4 percentage points. She refused to concede. And then since then, has essentially built up her brand by doing a couple different things. She has a pack that's raised a lot of money that has, on one hand, advocated for what she would call increased voting rights. A lot of people would say the fact that Georgia went blue in 2020 was a direct result of some of the changes that she advocated for. Yeah. Uh, but but she also, quite honestly, claimed that election fraud was a real thing. In fact, the Georgia Secretary of State's office recently said, hey, remember what we said about Donald Trump and everything he said about Georgia's election fraud issues? Uh, he was just saying the same things that Stacey Abrams has said. So this is somebody who built up their brand by decrying an unfortunate political event and in the process actually become quite wealthy doing it. That's right. And you've actually written a book about fraud called fraud. So this is a subject you know something about. Yeah, it's weird that uh, voter fraud has been much more lucrative for Stacey Abrams than it has been for me. <laughs> like well, She's over there, you know, he's got a seven figure net worth. I'm sitting next to a guy in an Orvis fleece. So, <laughs> Well, you know, this is the marketplace, right? right? Uh, well, we're going to talk about Stacey Abrams' spectacular rise in wealth. Uh, a lot of people think it's because she does a lot of speeches and books, and that's part of it. But we're going to talk about a sort of little known business uh, and we're going to discuss how that unfolded and how her financial fortunes have changed. And it's been dramatic. Uh, In the 2018 election, she owed $54,000 to the IRS and had $96,000 in student loan debt 
$83,000 in credit card debt. Say that eighty-three grand in credit card in debt. Credit card you got to be trying to do that. Yeah, I don't think she's listening to Dave, Dave Ramsey much. Um, but all of that was paid off by the end of 2019. So she's had this dramatic reversal on financial fortunes. We're going to bring on today as our very special guest, uh, uh, Jason Chaffetz, uh, the former chairman of the House Oversight Committee, uh, who has a reputation for going after people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, and Jason has a piece. Uh, he's the first one to really uh, uh, break this news. The research was done at GAI, and, and Jason has uh, sort of taken the leadership on it. Jason, thanks so much for joining us on The Drill Down. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, so tell us a, a little bit about this company. It's called Now Corp. Uh, I don't think anybody had really heard about this. What can you tell us about this company and why uh, should we be concerned with how this company has built, been built and how she has gained so much wealth? Well, I think the concern here is that uh, it appears as if Stacey Abrams, uh, a government official there in the state legislature, uh, received special treatment. Uh, related to her private business. And uh, there she is as an elected official. And guess what? Uh, surprise, surprise. The taxpayers are the ones that are on the on the line for this and paying for it. And, and look, her net worth went from roughly uh, $109,000 when she was running for office back in 2018, but now is up to $3.17 million. And hey, look, we want people to be entrepreneurial. We want them to have success. Um, but when you dive under the hood here and you really start to examine what was going on, you're going to find that the taxpayers were the backstop and on the line and paying for this. And uh, as a government official, it, it, you can't go out and just go get special favors for what you're doing. But it does appear as if she did that. So just to be clear, uh, she was in the state legislature. She was the leader of the Democrats, uh, which are in the minor minority in Georgia. Uh, and in 2013, uh, this company she was connected with, she was a co-founder, co-owner called Now Account, had just $100,000 in revenues. Uh, that's not a whole lot. Uh, then the Georgia Department of Community Affairs helped her uh, uh, company through a tailor-made federal loan program, which figured into her existing business model. And that's kind of where the business took off, right, Jason? Yeah, she got this, she got this sweetheart deal that really wasn't uh, allowed to happen at anybody else. The federal government had put out money to all these different states, and she had uh, been able to, in Georgia, get this sweetheart deal that no other state was offering. It, it does appear as if there were some asks to do this in other states. Other states wouldn't do it. And it was such an incredible failure in Georgia that they now no longer offer it. But during that time that it was offered, she was able to secure some $29 million in private equity that came in. There was a Harvard Business Review study that went and looked at how this whole thing was happening. And the only reason that this now business that she had was able to thrive and, and move forward is because of this government backstop on these loans that made it very lucrative. And my understanding, Jason, from looking at the research that the government accountability team here has done and, and you're reporting on this, which again is you know, brand new article, breaking news on foxnews.com that you've authored. But it's there were a lot of programs, as you noted, in other states with federal money that you could say, hey, we will loan businesses because it's a challenging time. But the tweak that the Georgia DCA made at Stacey Abrams' request 
allowed for companies to loan money based on accounts receivable. And that was the the nuance. That was the tweak. Nobody else was doing that. And basically, we're, we're lending money that's guaranteed to the government. And that's the sweetheart deal you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's she's essentially becoming a private lender. And so you can go out and what now would do was go out and secure these uh, relationships so that she could take care of the accounts receivable, be able to get this sweetheart deal and then be able to take some money out of these transactions. So the federal government had put out about one point one point five billion dollars to the states to do various things. But in Georgia, they crafted it in such a way that she knew it was there. She took advantage of it. She was able to go get private equity to back her and support her as well. But um, this is the concern is that she leveraged what she was doing um, and she was able to get some special treatment on her private business. And now she's worth millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's so striking about this, right, is why is it uh, that the state of Georgia, particularly this department, Department of Community Affairs, why did they decide to tailor make the pilot program to where really the only entity that could actually work within its confines was Stacey Abrams? I mean, this is, strikes me as kind of the classic, you know, insider uh, deal and arrangement. Um, Abrams, of course, was the Democrat leader in the legislature. She was on the I believe the appropriations or the budget committee, which of course is where the Department of Community Affairs uh, budget uh, gets made. Uh, it's hard not to see this as kind of a back scratching arrangement. Now, she was asked about this business, the existence of this business. Um, nobody has reported to this point uh, how this program was tailor made for the benefit of her company, how much money she uh, has got in terms of capital investments on the outside. But she was asked simply about the existence of this company in 2018. And she told a reporter that she had, quote, walled myself off from the relationship between her company and the state government. Um, is that true, Jason? Yeah, I, I mean, she went to great lengths to say that she had walled herself off, but there are documents that prove and demonstrate in, in writing, in black and white, that that was just simply not the case. And 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 that's very concerning because she's a public official. She's running for the governorship. She's she's doing all these things. She's in the state house. Um, why would she do that? I think that's the questions. It's like, how did this happen? How did you get this deal? Why did it go out? Why did the state stop doing it if it was such a great thing to do? Um, but there are reasons why. And, and, and what happens essentially is that the taxpayers, remember, these are yeah. taxpayer dollars. Yeah. They're the ones that are on the line. And so private equity comes in under Stacey Abrams and says, hey, look, this is such a good deal. You can't lose because the government will backfill this. So <laughs> right, right. there's this Harvard Business School, and I want to read this quote. Okay, yeah, this yeah. is from the Harvard Business School Business School case study uh, that GAI was able to acquire, and it says, "quote allows us to scale faster because the government is in the first loss position, not our lenders." So, in other words, taxpayers are on the hook for the for the uh, the, the losses or the bad loans, and uh, you can see where an investor would come in and give her a bunch of money if she could have that sort of arrangement, where the the taxpayers. I mean, it just rings bells of other problems and, and scandals that we've had, and I think she has a lot of questions that she needs to to answer. 
It's a great point. Ironically, Stacey Abrams' constituents were the ones that would be on this, the position to lose, not her actual clients. Her clients were basically right. offered uh, a risk-free deal. Well, and if you go to her, if you go to her campaign website and look at what she touts, she's going to quote put money back in the pockets of families. End quote. <laughs> But she put a lot of money in her pocket first, I can tell you <laughs> at, that. At the expense of other families that pay taxes. And I think that's a key point. And remember this, Jason, because it's such an interesting thing. And the research and the new documents that we have at the Government Accountability Institute, we actually have linked to, you can see the original source reporting from Jason's piece. And I think from some of the other pieces, they're going to report on this. Like the, she was asked about it in 2018 by a reporter, because clearly it's a relevant thing. You're running for governor. Right. You have this business relationship. Talk to me about how you were able to, as a member, as the leader of the Democrats in the state assembly, how how could you make this happen? And she said, no, 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 I didn't have anything to do with it. This program was separate. Yes, I was affiliated with the company, but I didn't have anything to do with them obtaining the money. And then we now have, in addition to that Harvard business case study, we have the 75-page application that the company used when they were applying for the money and listed on one page is none other than Stacey Abrams as a key player. So the idea that she was walled off isn't necessarily <laughs> accurate. In fact, I would just say it isn't accurate. Uh, and we have the documents to prove it. Yeah, it's a glass wall, right? There's a glass wall, but you, you can still see me on the other side right, of the glass right. wall. So, let, so let's back up and recount here again what happens is company now account is set up uh, in, in the, the early 2010s. Uh, Stacey Abrams is one of three partners. In 2013, they had just $100,000 in revenue. Uh, this government pilot program is set up specifically for the benefit of her company. Uh, it's clear in the application that she's involved, that she's sort of the star player behind it. They build the business based on these government-backed loans. As you said, the, the, the Harvard study clearly demonstrates that they see this as the government bankrolling or subsidizing what they're doing. Then let's flash forward to 2021, and you referenced this earlier, Jason. So they built this business with government backing, government guarantees, and now you have a private equity firm step in with, what, $28, $29 million in investments, and lo and behold, you have this really strange thing happen, uh, Jason, uh, that the company has her on the website but then the private equity uh, a company comes in and invests, and they scrub her off the website. Uh, they pretend that she's no longer even connected, even though we know that she still is based on financial disclosures. What do you make of this sort of attempt to kind of scrub her from the history of this company and pretend that she is not connected? That's one of those things that make you go, hmm. Uh, <laughs> right. it, it, it's just, uh, you know, they... There is black and white evidence of exactly how she was doing this. And this, she signed the documents. She was the one in charge. She was the one that uh, benefited financially from this uh, every single step of the way. And so I don't know why they would want to do that other than maybe to make sure that there isn't attention drawn to it because she went to great lengths to try to say that she, quote, walled myself off. And, yeah. and that was her position that she had taken publicly. But it really, I mean, I think the documents demonstrate that wasn't the case. And why is it relevant now? I mean, as you noted, it's one thing for private citizens to make money. And yes, it's relevant if she leveraged her position of public power to secure personal and private gain, which is what we investigate here at the Government Accountability Institute. But now she's running for governor again. And as you point out in your piece, she's been very open about the fact that she plans on running for president 
uh, in the next two decades. So this is somebody who has clear ambitions, who's, who people want to continue to elevate in a position of public power. She was content, you know, conceptually a finalist for one of the vice presidential slots for Joe Biden. She didn't get it. But I mean, this is somebody that's going to matter and she's going to stick around. So what do you always say, Peter Schweitzer? Like how you conduct yourself in small areas is how you're going to conduct yourself in big areas. Yeah, that that that's exactly right. Um, and and I think the question is, Jason, we we live unfortunately in a very cynical age. Um, what would you say to somebody who would say, well, you know, kind of everybody does this. What's the big deal? Why should are you just picking on Stacey Abrams? Why should we be concerned as a republic when politicians are leveraging their position? We don't know that she did anything illegal per se, uh, but clearly she is leveraging her government position. I think it's not unfair to say that now account probably would not have gotten this special treatment except for the fact that Stacey Abrams was involved. Why, Jason, should we ultimately care? How, how does it affect leadership in our country to have politicians cash? in in this way? Uh, because when you put yourself in the first position, it's not then truly public service. Right. I mean, public service is a sacrifice and you're going out and you're, you're giving up things that maybe you'd be able to do otherwise. But I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the surface. Right? You go from a $109,000 in your total net worth and you're running for the biggest state office there is in Georgia, governor, but then suddenly you become this multimillionaire um, what happened there? You, you can only brush off so much to speaking fees and, and, and showing up for those types of events. Um, she became a national figure. She wants to potentially be the president of the United States. Um, let voters decide. But I think the truth is what is the best thing. It's the sunlight. It's the, that's the best disinfectant. And if you go back and you look at that Harvard Business Review and the way they looked at it, the sweetheart deal that she got it's just not available to you unless you're in that government position. And and that's, that's, I don't know, to my core, it just bugs me. Well, and it's particularly interesting in this case because Abrams and their politicians, you know, both the Republican Party and Democrat Party who go out of their way to position themselves as outsiders. I'm an outsider. It could be because I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a great education. It could be because I'm a, a you know part of a minority group, but I'm an outsider. And Stacey Abrams has really played that card. This is the ultimate insider move. You've got a business that's got $100,000 in revenue. It's not going anywhere. And you get federally government-backed loans. You get them to tweak the program to open up a new line of revenue for right. your business that's the that then is guaranteed by taxpayers. Right. And then suddenly, flash forward, you've got a $29 million investment from a private equity firm. Um, and you know, part of the thing uh, that I think is frustrating here, just from a transparency standpoint, you mentioned it is, in Georgia, the disclosure requirements... We don't really know mm -hmm. how much Stacey Abrams has worth of this company. All she has to say is, "I yes, I'm connected to this company. I'm an owner, and it's worth more than $5,000. That's all she has to say. So we have no earthly idea how much money she's made um, being linked with this business. And as we mentioned earlier, they're clearly trying to, trying to hide it by not including uh, uh, her name on the website anymore, even though she still has an ownership stake. So a question for both of you guys, because Florida suffers from this problem as well, in that Florida's legislators are, it's supposed to be, it's not a full-time position. The, the pay is not meant to be a right. full-time salary. And so some people have said, well, you're sort of setting yourself up for more of this behavior because you're not paying them a ton of money and they have to, by definition, have a 
another job. And so people get access to these positions partly, and then they might get other jobs. In Florida, we might, I think we had like 12 members of the Florida legislature that actually work for lobbyists. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, right. talk about like not being able to separate yourself, <laughs> but, but, uh, but in, in Georgia, in this case, I mean, it, it seems like it shouldn't even be a question that if you are doing business with the government, you maybe shouldn't be in the government. Um, but that's another violation. So I guess all, all I'm saying is, do you think that we should have stronger rules? Either A, should we pay state legislators more and say this should be a full-time job? Or B, should we just have hard and fast rules that say you can't do business with the government if you're in the government? Jason, what do you think? Well, I, I have a hard time with somebody who's uh, a state legislator then going to a state agency, yeah. which inevitably you're voting at some point on appropriations and things like that. What do you think happens when Stacey Abrams walks in the, uh, in the in the office or any state legislator? Let's not pick on her. Let's say right. any state legislator. Right. If they have business before the state, then guess what? You you just you can't do that. You just you should have to step away. I guess what really bothers me about this particular case with Stacey Abrams is she went to great lengths in 2018 to say that she had quote walled myself off end yep. quote. But the documents say paint a totally different picture. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And uh, look, I think the issue is transparency. And in a way, the example you gave, if if somebody is in the Florida legislature and they're working for lobbyists, which I think is horrendous, <laughs> but but at least it's it's known, right? The voter that's knows the, that's it. the defense. Yeah, yeah, that's the defense. And look, I you know, uh, people elect, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, conflicted, corrupt people. Uh, it, it happens. Uh, and it's terrible and it shouldn't happen. But in the case of Abrams, I mean, she worked very hard to obscure it, yeah. right? She had this company, people that there's only one mention of this company entirely in 2018 during the governor's race. It's a minor mention and she claims that she walled herself off, which she clearly didn't. So she lied about it. The other thing the research revealed, by the way, Jason, that was interesting is that there seems to have been at least two times that Stacey Abrams introduced legislation. The legislation did not pass, but she co-sponsored it and pushed for it. Legislation that would have directly benefited her business. So you've got conflicts of interest occurring at that level as well. And again, if you don't know she's involved with this now account business, you would have no way of knowing that she's introducing legislation that would that would help her own bottom line. Well, and I guess the other thing that you'd say is it's not as if she came in and helped create something that was such a great success that others were also participating. The Department of Community Affairs there in Georgia terminated this program right. because it was a failure. So how did that happen? How did she go out and get that, have it set up? And then even, even the people in Georgia that in the you know, Department of Community Affairs said, hey, we, we got to end this program. This is not a good thing. Yeah. Well, Jason, you have a reputation for going after both sides uh, and uh, you continue to do that. We appreciate your great uh, work and insight on this subject. And now it really comes down to honestly, uh, is the media in Georgia going to ask her questions about this? As they should ask Brian Kemp tough questions. Mm -hmm. They should ask everybody tough questions. But it, it, it always kind of mystifies me, gentlemen, that a story like this that we kind of stumbled upon as we're looking at, you know, politicians self-enriching for government programs. Why is it that nobody else 
can find this stuff? Why are media outlets in Georgia not aware of this? Why did they simply take her word for it that she'd walled herself off? And why didn't they just file a Freedom of Information Act request like we did, get the documents and see that she was actually firmly attached? I'm still mystified at how what is supposed to be a watchdog media is oftentimes a lapdog media. Well, what I'll be interested to see, too, is the reporter that she told in 2018 that she'd walled herself off from the company, I believe, is still working for the Land Journal Constitution. So um, I think we're, we actually do plan on sort of giving that reporter heads up just about this information to see if they want to continue to move the story forward. And Jason, you probably saw this when you were at government oversight, right? That, the, that there were some media uh, outlets or reporters that are eager to get the story right. And then, then there are others that just are lazily going along and at least protecting certain politicians or have a lack of interest in pursuing stories on certain politicians. Yeah, the the lack of intellectual curiosity was, I think, one of my greatest uh, uh, frustrations because, at least on the national media that I was dealing with, is they 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 had great enthusiasm. My my friend and uh, former colleague Trey Gowdy, the congressman from South Carolina, he always liked to say, "Yeah, they never met a, an investigation." that they ever thought was justified by the Republicans. But any, if it was introduced by the Democrats, they never want it to end. And <laughs> I, I, I think that is, is so true. But look, um, let, let's, you know, the Government Accountability Institute, great researchers, you know, you got a lot of nerds there behind the scenes that actually know how to go through and dig, dig up this data. And I think that's a good thing. We got nerds in the front of the scenes too, just FYI. <laughs> exactly. Well, we appreciate it, Jason. Great work on this. Uh, you bring great wisdom and in, in, insight. And our view is we need to put the information out there and we hopefully this will lead to greater clarity. She will clarify her relationship with this company, how much money she's actually making off of it. Uh, and there will be some efforts to uh, get a handle on these so-called pilot programs that are being set up uh, apparently for the benefit of certain politicians. Well, thank you for joining us on The Drill Down. As always, you can find uh, more of our research and reporting on thedrilldown.com, and you can find the podcast uh, pretty much anywhere that podcasts are offered. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you soon. <music>